BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. The legends are true. Overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Donald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. The Bowery Boys, episode 30, Cooper Union and Crazy Peter Cooper. Hey, it's the Bowery Boys. Hey. The Bowery Boys is brought to you by Eurocheapo.com. Eurocheapo editors personally visit and review the best budget hotels in Europe. Now with hotels in New York City. On the web at Eurocheapo.com. Hello there and welcome to the Bowery Boys. My name is Greg Young. Tom's not here this week, just me. Um, This week we will be looking at a very small but very prominent institution of New York City, the Cooper Union, or rather Cooper Union School of the Advancement of the Arts and Sciences, um, an art, architecture, and engineering college that serves sort of as the cornerstone to Astor Place in the East Village. The Cooper Union campus incorporates a few buildings in Astor Place, but will be chiefly concerned with the oldest one of them, which was completed in 1859, the Union Foundation Building, which sits where 3rd and 4th Avenues cross at 7th Street. The school is important because the man who founded it is important. Without him, trains would be running right into the grass. Um, American telegraphs would never have talked to anyone in the outside world. And I guess Bill Cosby would be hawking whipped cream. We'll even have not one, but two candidates for the President of the United States in this podcast. One, an ambitious, skinny lawyer from Illinois. The other one, an outspoken, white-haired man who happens to be older than 70 years old. Parallels, of course, to modern candidates are strictly coincidental. And find out why you, listener, and me, for that matter, will probably never be going to school at Cooper Union. All that and more, under the roof of Cooper Union. Well, the story naturally starts here with the founder of Cooper Union, Peter Cooper, one of America's earliest industrialists and really like the kind of guy they broke the mold for long ago. A white-bearded jack-of-all-trades who set a standard for educational philanthropy that would you know, later be expanded on by people with a lot more money, like the Carnegie's, the Astors, and the Rockefellers of the world. Peter was born to Dutch parents on February 12th, 1791, right here in New York City, and not quite 10 years after New York City kicked the British out at the end of the American Revolution. Considering he would later start one of New York's most honored educational institutions, Peter himself wasn't very traditionally educated at all. 
and kind of got his education working in a wide variety of different trades, hat making, he worked in a brewery. And by 17 years old, he was even helping manufacture coaches. Through 1812 through 1814, with America caught in the grips of yet another war, Peter was making cloth-sharing machines, later converting that whole factory into a furniture factory. Then he entered the grocery business, in fact, very near to the spot where the current Cooper Union stands today. Then later, he would make a huge sum of his eventual fortune from a glue factory, uh, using a glue-making process that he himself patented in a small town called Kipps Bay, which, of course, is the Manhattan neighborhood of Kipps Bay. But beyond all these various businesses, Peter, who was an extremely sharp and very flexible person, soon kind of found a new fancy of his, the manufacture of iron. But the 1820s, America was in the throes of an industrial revolution. So Cooper just jumped right on that train. In fact, he actually made the train that he jumped on, inventing America's first steam locomotive, the Tom Thumb, in 1825. But... Peter kept going, creating a whole like world of new inventions. Uh, the rotary steam engine. He invented a way to generate power from ocean tides. He invented a way to make salt. He was even part of a consortium of groups that laid the first Atlantic Ocean telegraph cable, allowing people to speak to each other across the waters. On the lighter side, he even invented a musical baby cradle and perhaps well-known to the most pop culture friendly of all of you out there, Peter Cooper, in 1845, with a little help from his wife, Sarah, invented gelatin. That's right. Next time you see one of those stupid, giggling Jell-O commercials, think Peter Cooper and thank him, I guess. I just have to take a moment to kind of pause and reflect at this point because it's just so hard to imagine one man doing all this. Up until this time, only Ben Franklin could even be considered this prolific. A man of such resources as this could have just holed himself up into a room and continued to make just devices throughout his whole life without speaking to a single person. However, in 1853, now 62 years old, Peter decided to impart an institution upon New York that would foster and develop skills of others like him. He called it the Union and would not only have like night courses for all adults, in what they would call the applied sciences, but they would even have day classes for women. In fact, the very basis of the union would be no discrimination based on gender and race. You know, a far-reaching concept, even in New York at that time. And then that's not all. All the education was free. In fact, tuition is still free today. All students who are accepted into the Cooper Union receive a full-ride scholarship. However, I'll explain in a minute why you probably shouldn't just get up right now and run to your computer and fill out an application and send it in. When it came time for the construction of the main building on 7th Street, Peter Cooper, being Peter Cooper, would naturally be all up in this building-making process of the Union and, no surprise, would invent a revolutionary new process along the way. The Union Foundation building was designed by a man named Frederick Peterson, and the outside is just, it's absolutely drenched in this really beautiful brownstone from top to bottom, and it also features cast iron arches and columns around it, but it's kind of what's inside, or actually what makes up its skeleton, that's the real difference with this building. The Cooper Union Foundation building is the oldest still-framed building in the United States today. Oh, did I mention, by the way, also that Peter Cooper also made rails for railroad tracks, which he produced in a foundry that he owned in Trenton, New Jersey? Well, 
Cooper decided to bolt these rails together to f- create kind of a steel box frame that would hold the building into place. The measurements of the building were restricted by and in fact kind of still roughly correspond to the combined length of these train rails. And in a kind of poetry, I guess, that like only New York City can produce, later the city's elevated train, so there'd be a train that ran right along the length of the building for decades. Completed in 1859, Cooper Union was also fitted with an elevator that had to fit a round elevator shaft just based on the dimensions of the building. And although education was, of course, its chief purpose, the defining indoor feature of Cooper Union was its great hall, uh, this auditorium with um, 1,800-plus seats in the basement with a kind of a newfangled ventilation system, which, of course, made the Great Hall a very popular place to speak. The first speaker ever in the Great Hall was no less than Mark Twain, although back then he wasn't actually that well-known at the time. The next year, another Midwestern unknown took to the Cooper Union podium to give a speech. It was an election year, 1860, and this gangly lawyer from Illinois came into town with the intention of speaking actually at the Plymouth Church in Brooklyn Heights, which was then the congregation of Henry Ward Beecher. The location, however, was soon changed to Cooper Union, and on February 27th, in front of about a three-fourth filled auditorium, a very young and a very eager Abraham Lincoln, a Republican candidate for president, stood to make one of his first campaign speeches. However, he was in enemy turf. William Seward, his much better known Republican competition, was a New Yorker. But Lincoln gave a beautiful, carefully written, plain spoken and logical speech on slavery and Republican responsibility, which quickly electrified the crowd and at the end elicited a standing ovation. By the next day, the text of this speech hit the newspapers, and sort of the buzz of his candidacy, if you will, uh, just shot through the streets of the city and across the nation. Throughout the years, the Great Hall of Cooper Union would host many great, powerful, important speakers, including basically every president from Ulysses S. Grant to Woodrow Wilson, and the, I think I believe the last president who spoke there was Bill Clinton in the 90s, and it was actually before he was elected, I believe. But on top of that, also some decidedly unmainstream voices have spoken there, including Susan B. Anthony and that wacky free love advocate of the 19th century, Victoria Woodhall. By the way, uh, speaking of running for president, I guess it has to be said that what's good for Abraham Lincoln must be good for Peter Cooper. So 11 years after Lincoln's assassination, at age 85. I mean, a man born when George Washington was president, Peter Cooper. Yes, he tries his own run for the White House on the Greenback Party ticket. John McCain's a spring chicken compared to this guy. See, of course, Cooper didn't win the White House, of course. However, his only son, Edward Cooper, did eventually become the mayor of New York City, as would the husband of his only daughter, Abram Hewitt. Abram, if you remember from last week's Brooklyn Bridge podcast, was pretty instrumental in getting some political support early on for the building of the bridge and making it happen. Peter eventually died of pneumonia at age 92, but luckily old Pete is still around us all over here in Manhattan. Just behind the foundation building is a little square that they call Cooper Square, a tiny little sliver of a park that actually has a statue of Peter Cooper in it. And by no less than Augustus St. Gaudens, the go-to Beaux Arts sculptor, 
Up the street a bit stands the beautiful old Cooper Station Post Office, which was built in 1837. Just east and slightly north of there is Peter Cooper Village, which is a huge cluster of enclosed residential buildings that huddle next to that other huge cluster of residential buildings, Stuyvesant Town. Yes, listeners, you knew that you could not get through a podcast without me mentioning the name Stuyvesant. But most well-known, perhaps, is a museum on the Upper East Side that is solely devoted to the appreciation of design. It was founded in 1897 by Peter Cooper's three granddaughters, as well as the daughters of Abram Hewitt, and thus the name the Cooper Hewitt National Design Museum. A museum that, I'm sorry, it's like, it's so amazing, it's so fabulous that its current location is literally in the former home of Andrew Carnegie. Since 1967, it's been part of the Smithsonian Institute. And I imagine had Peter Cooper been alive to see it, he probably would have just walked through the hallways and said, yeah, I could have done that. Yeah, that. Yeah, I could have done that too. Yeah, that one. By the way, to prospective applicants of, of the Cooper Union College, um, you just have to be really, really really talented in arts and engineering and architecture and all the things that they offer. According to the website, of the 2,600 applicants that they had last year, only 275 of them were accepted. That's about like a 10% acceptance rate total, with some of the individual colleges, like the architecture school, having an even tighter acceptance policy. But it has produced some of the biggest names in art and design, including Lee Krasner and Daniel Liebeskin and Milton Glaser. I mean, the list actually kind of goes on for quite a while, but I mean, I, I guess I personally will never be on it. Um, maybe some one of you out there will, but that free tuition does sound good, doesn't it? Anyway, thank you very much for listening um, to our little tale of Peter Cooper. I've been dying to get this, to this one f- uh, for a while. Please visit our website at BoweryBoysPodcast.com. We'll be updating it with some sort of like ancillary material to what we've been talking about and just other goodies and everything. Thanks a lot for listening and have a great New York week, whether you live here or not. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.